Yesterday's baseball game sucked. It's just, it is what it is. Jobo was there. Congrats on seeing all the offense. <laughs> Woof. But I would say overall yesterday was a win for the Blue Jays in this regard. That Mariners team shop story, it will, that will never go away. I will remember that until the day I die. Mm-hmm. Which, who knows, maybe that's soon, so it's not... <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. I'm trying in my, you know, mid-30s to go to two punk rock shows in two days this weekend, and so who knows? Who knows how fast this might come? <laughs> might be reality check time about my age. Might, might get very real very fast on the Sunday. <laughs> but I died laughing seeing the tweets from the Mariners players mm-hmm. who were upset and thinking to myself... So the Mariners obviously greenlit this. They go, hey, if these Jays fans are going to come on down here and they're going to, they're going to took our jobs, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to get in here. We're going to sell some merch. We're going to make a dollar off it. We don't want to be the only ones not making a dollar off it. Mm-hmm. Let's put some stuff in our team shop. The idea that they thought they were going to get away with that quietly As though in the age of social media, when everything is captured, Mm -hmm. when everything is on camera, (laughs) hilarious, hilarious stuff. Mm -hmm. They never even, so you embarrassed yourself by putting Blue Jay stuff in your team shop. The Jays now own Safeco. That's just, it is what it is. You put the sign up. Yeah. You put the the t-shirts out. You put the hats out. Mm -hmm. You... Admitted. You admit there's a this market is, for Jason. This is Canadian land. <laughs> this is now the embassy. <laughs> Safeco is it's a the Canadian embassy. embassy. You cannot commit a crime at Safeco now <laughs> and be arrested in the United States. Yeah. That's just a fact. That's just a fact that I'm imparting on all of you. If you do crimes at Safeco, it's okay. You're allowed to do the crimes and no one can arrest you. They'll have to extradite you, but don't worry. We'll probably get you home safe. It's going to be all right. So, yeah, maybe, you know, give it a shot. <laughs> see, Why are you encouraging this? Yeah. No, uh, but the players coming, like, I, uh, I can't remember who it was that had the shake my head. That's my J- favorite. J.P. Crawford. That's J.P. Crawford. Shake my damn yeah, head. SMH. <laughs> shake my head. I shake my head at the J stuff in the team shop. And then who was the other guy? Paul Seward. Yeah, I was going to say it was a relief pitcher. Yeah. It's like, I thought this was our team shop. Like, like yes, Paul. What the heck is this? At I know. Store. But so they embarrass themselves and they don't even get a dollar out of it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to sell it. I like to believe that they're basically going to have some undercover operator who sells that Blue Jay stuff outside of Safeco. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to go to a game. I, I just think it's not. I don't think it's going to line up for me in the trip. I'm going to be in Seattle at the same time. I basically was relegated to not the hotel of my choice because oh. I'm in Seattle. Well, first of all, it was my mistake. I left it in the hands of my brother. Uh. <laughs> I was like, I'll get the tickets. You get the... Well, actually, I didn't even leave it in his hands. He leapt forward like uh. the desperate bridesmaid who's been single into her late 30s. Seeing the bouquet go up in the air, he leapt at it. He stiff-armed me in the face. He went, oh, don't worry, I'll get the hotel room. And a week before we're about to arrive, he's like, 
I don't know if I have a, we might have to stay far from the venue. I was like, well, okay, good job. These, there were a million a week ago. I was like, yeah, you know how hotel rooms work <laughs> is you really want to wait on them. Yeah. You really want to wait, 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 wait until you're outside the hotel. You go, is there any room at the inn? Leave it to the last second. <laughs> like Joseph and Mary. We ended up in a barn. We almost ended up in turned a away barn. At the inn. We were turned away at every inn. But we did it. We're in. We're somewhere. But we're down there the same weekend for the Blue Jays invading from Toronto. Mm. And the Swifties are in Seattle. Oh, boy. The Swifties... The Blue Jays fans and the NoFX fans who are trying to watch their 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, going to be overrun. No, I don't Yeah, I think that we will be in the small minority. What are you here for? Punk band. What do you do exactly? I, I still go in the mosh pit. I like to go in there and push around <laughs> with other old dudes. Going tarps off. Yeah. As a billion Swifties come like, take over the streets. Yeah. Like, you're not very successful, are you? <laughs> you don't have a lot. Of, uh, my guess is you don't have a family. It was like, yeah, correct. <laughs> correct. Low blow. You're going to both? Yeah. No, yeah. That's not, that's not the sign of a, like a strong, mature, with it, grown man. Anyways, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to go. I, it, it's going to be strange, though, because so starting today, or starting tomorrow, sorry, after today, I'm going to be off for seven shows. All right, which maybe I should have taken a little time earlier or whatever, but I'm off for seven shows. I'm going to go down to Seattle. I'm going to go down to BC. I'll be out of the loop a little bit for the trade deadline. Like I'm not going to be on my phone refreshing Morosi. I'll put some alerts on, Mm -hmm. but you know, you get the vibe of what I'm going out there for. West coast trip, downtime. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be, you know, reading sportsnet.ca every morning. (laughs) Hmm, what is the latest article? So we have the picture. We got Atkins yesterday. He speaks to the media. And he just essentially outlines what we already know. I love, I get why we do make the content out of this. And like, I'm doing it right now. And I'm going to talk to JP Ricciardi in a couple of minutes, actually. Is he calling us or are you calling him? All right, cool. We're going to talk to JP Ricciardi. I'm going to just ask him about. You know, what actually goes into the thought process of days like this where you have to stand in front of the media and try to announce your plans and tell people like, oh, what what am I going to be doing today? What what are we going to be doing as an organization? Blue Jays outlined exactly what you thought they would outline. Said, we lean towards a right-handed bat. Sure, we all knew that. But he's like, but, and this is the shocking one. This is the shocking revelation that you got was... They'll do anything to help improve their club. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Monumental. I know. They don't want to remove from their big league roster. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that a Nathan Lukes or Ernie Clement can go. And at this point, watching Varsho strike out again three times yesterday, I went, can we trade Varsho back? I can't believe I got in a debate with people this week about like whether that trade was good. He's like OPSing 640. He's, strike, he's got a hole in his swing the size of Lake Superior. No, but JD, team control. Yeah. His outfield defense. Defense. In left field. You know what I like from a corner outfielder? A guy who hits the baseball once in a while. That's good. Well, I love, too, we're doing this whole thing. Like, he's been slumping in July. Like, it's not good. The July has been tough for him. I'm like, you know what else has been tough for him? Every month other than June. 
where he was just all right. Like where he was just like, good, fine, passable. Anyway, they want the le- they want the righty bat, but they would go a lefty. They talked about lineup versatility that they have, which is true. They've got a bunch of guys who can play in different spots. I'm not really overly exuberant or excited about the idea of having Kevin Biggio in playoff games and, you know, Santiago Espinal. So, sure, fine. You can get guys wherever. But I think we ultimately know that they're going to try to add a righty bat to the outfield, which, again, is two of the guys that they traded away in the offseason. They went, we got to get away from Teoscar. We got to get away from Gurriel. And now they're sitting in the deadline going, yeah, we could probably use those two guys. They want a lefty reliever, which makes sense because as good as Mays has been, you don't want to run into the same situation as 2015 when the Blue Jays lost Brett Cecil. Mm-hmm. You lost Brett Cecil, and all of a sudden you had no loogie, and you went, whoa, there's no one to throw out of the bullpen that's left-handed. So, yeah, I do think that that's actually going to be, yeah, probably an area of addition. Even if it's not somebody spectacular, somebody, like, it's a little bit of depth. And then the same thing remains, which is, you know, they say the exact same line over and over again, which is you can't have too much starting pitching, blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows that's the line. That's the stock line. It's basically like there's no such thing as a bad minor league deal, right? We have our baseball cliches and you can't have too much starting pitching pretty high on the. It's on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's pretty much at the very top of the baseball cliche mountain. So it just, it's everything that we had already heard or everything that we already knew. Yeah. So they don't mind identifying those things. It is. It's going to be really fascinating, though, heading into this deadline where there's so many teams that are still kind of around it, in it-ish. Only a couple of sellers. One of those sellers with very little to offer. Anyway, we'll see what ends up happening here. But, yeah, I I love watching those things and sitting there and then seeing the quotes that come out of them. Anyways, J.P. Ricciardi, former Blue Jays GM, row 109, current senior advisor to the San Francisco Giants, president of baseball operations. Good morning, J.P. How are we doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. So when when you do these things as a general manager, right, you got to step to a podium and have the, the State of the Union addresses either before the deadline, after the deadline, whatever. Are you trying, like, like what's the goal here? Because you want to, I guess, share something with the fans. I'm guessing that a lot of it is just ends up being lip service. Do you actually have to try to keep things close to the vest? Like, yeah, what is the thought process of a general manager when you're doing things like this? I think every general manager is different. Um, I think if you're trying to add to your club, obviously you can't give too many secrets away or mm-hmm. things you're working on. But I think you could just tell people, listen, we want to add and make the club better. So I think uh, at least the fans at that point can have an understanding that you're trying to help and add to the club. Does that put more pressure on, though? Like all of a sudden you've put it out there publicly and you're saying, hey, we want to make this team better. And then all of a sudden deals aren't coming your way. And you're sitting there getting closer to the 11th hour. Like, do you ever, is there any type of you're beholden to some of these things? You actually feel that within the front office. Like, hey, we've made a mandate. We set it out publicly. And if we don't follow through, we're going to get hammered for this. Well, I don't think you can have it both ways. I I don't think you can be transparent with the fans telling them what you're trying to do. And then at the last minute, pull back and say, you know, well, we're not trying to do that. So I think if you tell them you're trying to do it, listen, there's a lot of things that get involved with these trades. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that people don't see. And there's a lot of things that the rug gets pulled out from under you, under you on the 11th hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams back out. Teams are in it. They lose three games in a row. All of a sudden, the deal you thought you had was in place is gone. So, you know, when you have to go back and tell the fans, we tried. It didn't happen. They don't want to hear that. And mm-hmm. I understand that. But sometimes that's just the way it is. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll tell you right now, we hate hearing that. <laughs> I can tell you flat out. It's just never, it never, ever sounds good. You always go, well, you should have done it some other way. And you're like, yeah, guess what? We were actually yeah, trying well, it that way too. It. Listen, yeah. Let, yeah. let me just tell you, we hate, yeah. we hate saying it. Yeah. No one wants to prove their team better than the general manager yeah. or the front office in some way, shape or form. But you know, there's just so many moving parts that have to take place on July 15th, there's a lot of teams that are gung-ho about doing deals. And then on July 31st, you can't find half those teams. So it's not a matter of trying. It's just a lot of things the public doesn't understand. You'd love to be able to make them privy to it, mm-hmm. but you know it's just not the way it works. So I understand their frustration because we get frustrated too. Hey, before we go into some of this stuff and like go down memory lane with some, some deadline ads and some trades that you did, uh, I, I am curious, you know, Obviously, you want to win baseball games, right? Like, you're part of a front office. That's the main goal. It's just, like, we want to win a World Series. We want to win games. We want to make the playoffs. We want to improve our club, all these different things. But it's got to be a nice feeling when you make a trade, and there's now consensus amongst your fan base that, like, you won the trade. Did you ever look at stuff like like if uh, a writer would write about the deal and their early impressions on it? Because, like, you always say to players, hey, don't pay attention to the press clippings. But would you, as a general manager... You know, try to take a peek at what you thought the media or some of the fans were saying about a trade you made and then take, you know, pride even in the moment of that deal if other people felt like you had won it. Not really. Uh, uh, I definitely I didn't listen. Not, not the writers in Toronto. We <laughs> uh, got some good ones. I, uh, I didn't really care what they thought. I thought if we got what we wanted, even when I was in Oakland, I used to tell Billy Bean, you know, we'd have these conversations and mm-hmm. I say, Billy, doesn't really matter what we give up as long as we're getting back what we want. And I think, you know, sometimes the fan base doesn't recognize it till a year later, two years later, five years later. So I just don't think you can be in popularity contests and trying to win the fans' approval. Uh, I think the fans in any city are appreciative if the, uh, of the fact that you're out there trying. And I think if you're out there trying and you can come back with a haul, small, medium, a great, I think they realize that, you know, you're, you're trying to do the best for your team. And I think that's what you owe the fans is, a, is a, uh, an effort to try to put the best team on the field, to try to improve your club. And, you know, I don't think you could sit there. And it's even worse today. I mean, with Twitter and all this mm-hmm. stuff, I mean, God, a guy puts a thought out there and he's ripped by a by 100 people. So you just can't placate to that fan base. It, it just would it'll, it'll absolutely drive you nuts. Yeah. So how much debate does end up happening about guys? Like you, you mentioned it, you've got teams that are in it, teams that are out of it. Obviously, you're going to end up having a, a very deep field of players that you would be looking at or interested in or the teams, the conversations that you're having. But internally, how much debate usually does happen around a time like this where you have limited resources, limited amount of roster spots, especially if you're trying to add or even if you are trying to subtract within your group like when do these conversations begin and when do they start to like really, really intensify? Well, believe it or not, those conversations should happen every day. Yeah. Um, You know, it doesn't matter what front office you're a part of. I've been a part of Oakland's Toronto's the Mets and now San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You're having those conversations like, Hey, you think so-and-so is available. You think if we call them, you think that they'd be interested in this. What do you, you know, you're, you're constantly having those conversations and, that's what generates the ideas, which generates a spark and sometimes leads, you know, sometimes you just hit a a brick wall. You pick up the phone and they say, what are you nuts? We wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they pick up the phone and say, well, check back with us in a week. So I think you're, you're constantly spitballing and trying to figure, figure out ways to improve your club. I think you go through the off season, you put your team together, you go to spring training, you see what your team is, you see how April and May plays out. And then I, I would say, 
by the middle to the end of May, you know, you're sitting there throwing names. What do you think? You think they'd move this guy? Would we be comfortable moving that guy? So it's a constant finger on the pulse. I don't think very many of these deals are done willy-nilly. It may appear to the to the fans that it is, but I think most front offices are constantly sitting around and, and, and trying to come up with ways to make their club better, obviously within their financial restrictions. Yeah. So you mentioned, like, the Twitter era, right? And uh, we've always had baseball rumors. It was just very different than what we have now where there's a huge, huge – market for this around this time of year like this is how people make light like man adrian wojanowski basically right. took over espn because he was a newsbreaker for the nba right, right? it's right. a yeah they're, they're, it's a huge currency when you're dealing with a team you know and you have conversations and then something is made public even if it's only like a partial truth but you're like oh damn this is now out here H- how does it affect the way that you deal with that baseball team if at all well i think the days of any secrets being out there are over. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the way of the world. I mean, you, you see it in all the sports, whether it's hockey, football, whatever it is. You know, all it takes is one person to say one thing, and all of a sudden some shape or form of a deal is out there. Mm-hmm. So now it becomes public awareness, and public awareness weighs in with their opinions. And, and sometimes teams get an unbelievable backlash that the front office will be like, well, do we really want to do this? And ownership will come in and say, well, you know, we really like this player. Fans like this player. Now it's out there. We're getting – so it definitely affects. But I just don't know how you stop it from, from being out there because everybody seems to have some rumor, whether it's factual or not, it has some legs to it. Do you – have you ever tried that? Like throwing it out to the media, giving somebody something just for that exact test balloon of going – No, I never played that no, game. Never I never played, played that? that. Yeah. That's not worth it. It's, you know, it's, Did you ever have an owner play that game? Uh, yeah, I've been a part of a couple organizations where ownership has told some people behind the front offices back, and, you know, it's gotten out there, and then everybody has said, like, where did this come from? And then once you figure out where it came from, you got a pretty good idea that it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that basically it was the start of it was like, Listen, no, no, you're a running lot of the moving cards. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts that people aren't even aware of. The bottom line is it comes down to your ownership. If your ownership is driven to win and your ownership is willing to let you or the front office run the team, you got a better chance of having things done. If the front office is governed by the ownership group on every single move, it just gets weighed down because there's too many moving parts. And that's why the really good owners of these teams are the ones that let the right people you know, make the decisions. Obviously, they sign off on them, mm-hmm. but you know they they want to win. And I think if you I think if you look at baseball today, maybe there's eight teams that wake up every morning from an ownership group and say, "I really want to win." Mm. So outside of that, because yeah, ownership, and I think in most walks of life where you have a boss, you have somebody that signs your checks. The more they empower you, the better that you end up feeling and usually the better job you do. It's like, I I don't know any walk of life where someone's like, you know what I love is when I have to clear everything with my boss. You know, that's sweet. I love that. Yeah. Hello, boss. Today, this is what I would like to do. Yeah. Like it's going to slow you down. You want to feel the autonomy. You want to feel like a professional and like you can execute the job that you were hired for. But outside of ownership, what is the most challenging thing? Like, what is that thing that might be overlooked by fans um, from a front office standpoint when you're heading into a period like this? Well, you also have general managers that 
are, listen, it's a different world today. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But there's a lot of teams that are just happy with being competitive. Mm-hmm. They show a bottom line. They show a, a plus. They draw enough. The team stays interesting. And they don't want to make that extra commitment that puts them over the top. I mean, there's a lot of teams, if you look up, they talk about uh, sustainability. They talk about a process. They talk about all the things, that, you know, corporate America or corporate Canada talk about. Mm-hmm. And fans don't want to hear that. Fans want to hear you want to win. And I think that sometimes when you're dealing with some of these front offices, their goal isn't to win. Their goal is just to be able to compete. So you're going to have a hard time making deals with some organizations like that. Hmm. You know, that, that brings up an interesting one too, which is how much does a, a group like a front office change when pressure starts to ramp up around job security? Like, you know, if, and I'll, I'll just use the Blue Jays as an example right now. Like, they're in a point where it's a competitive cycle. They really want to win. You, we, I just mentioned it. Like, they came out publicly and they talked about things that they want to add. So now there's a little bit pressure to do that. And with you as a group, like, has, did your mindset ever change? Or how much did you notice people around you change when you'd be looking at a deadline or an offseason, whatever, where all of a sudden there's starting to be rumors about, hey, now we got to start to see some results here, some meaningful results. Otherwise, you know, people's jobs are going to be on the line. Did it make you more aggressive? Like, how, how much of an impact do you think that actually has on front offices? Well, I think that's a really good question. I, and I think it comes down to what is the makeup of the general manager in the front office. I, I would not want to do something that set the organization back just at the, at the expense of maybe doing something that I thought was going to just be a short-lived thing that maybe the press liked it, maybe the fans liked it, maybe it was, you know, just like a little bit of mascara. Uh, I think when you're in charge of an organization, you have a responsibility for the sustainability of the long-term and the, the current and the long-term, which is the hardest juggle as a general manager. You have to build it, you have to sustain it, and you have to find a way to try to control it. And it's, it's a hard juggling act. So I do think there's been situations where guys have made panic moves to save their job. I think that's human nature. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I would personally try to stay away from that because I just don't think it's the right thing to do in, in, in a sense of the best for the organization as far as the present and the future. So I think it comes down to the individuals, but I think it's a really good question. And I think, you know, listen, most people want to keep their jobs, so they're, they're probably more likely to make a deal when, you know, they're, uh, they're up against it. Yeah, and I, I get that part of human nature. I would also think, though, that if you're a general manager, you know, like you've reached that peak in your career, you're going to have a job in baseball or essentially in one form or another for a very long time. You know, you're, you're kind of set in the sense of you've established where you are in the sport. And of course you want to keep your job, but there is a little bit of going, Hey, I didn't make the dumb move. That's appealing to another organization, right? Like that's going to be good to somebody else down the line. I, I wonder what the pressure is like with the people around you where you're thinking, all right, I'm the general manager. I'm the face of this thing. If I end up standing pat or I take the safe move that, yeah, maybe I'll be fired. Maybe that like, you know, the organization moves off of me, but how much is like there a pressure of the people underneath you, your support staff that have like come with you. And then all of a sudden you've got that pressure on you going, man, um, this isn't just about me. This is about like everybody else I'm working with too. 
Yeah, that's another good question. And I think, you know, until someone wears the hat of being in charge, it's yeah. easy for a lot of people to give you suggestions. You know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? How come we don't do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't, you know, and, and I said, listen, those are great ideas. I get it. Mm-hmm. But you understand the ramifications of every one of those deals. With every one of those deals comes something down the line that we have to either pay for or something we have to lose. So we have to, you know, we can't just do it willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. And I, I would always be on the side of go for it because that's just my nature. I'm competitive and I want to win. Mm-hmm. And I think you only have so many opportunities to win. And when you get that opportunity, you should take advantage of it because it may not come up again. You know, you think you have all these things in place, but then someone gets hurt. Someone doesn't have a good year. So I think when you're in the moment and you have an opportunity to win, I've always been part of groups that tried to go for it. And and that would be my mentality. But everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would imagine, too, this is a difficult time for uh your amateur scouting department where when you're trying to win and they're like, we've spent a lot of time looking at these people. Don't just be in a room going prospects are prospects. Like, you know, old JD does here on the radio sometimes. Uh, okay. No, so I think that's great though. Yeah. I think the amateurs, listen, if the amateurs yeah. are doing their job and they're giving you uh, resources to trade players, they've done a great job. Yeah. That, that's a compliment to them. Yeah, I guess that is true. That's a good way of looking. That's a very GM way of spinning that to them as you're like, hey, you drafted well, some great also guys. It's the reality. You yeah. can't make this trade unless we had this player. And if, right. if you didn't get us this player based on your, your ability to evaluate, then this deal don't happen. So your guy put the deal through, and I hope the guy goes on has a great career because that mm-hmm. means we got the right guy, but it also finishes off a deal. And you know, that's how we got Lyle Overbay. They, mm-hmm. they insisted on Gabe Gross, and we were able to throw Gabe Gross in the deal and get Lyle Overbay. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, and that one worked out. Uh, I think a lot of people here absolutely loved Lyle Overbay and all of the doubles. So how much has six playoff teams changed the way clubs do business around the deadline? Like you, you mentioned that there's a team that's in it one week. There's a team that's out of it the next. H- has that shifted drastically based on the new playoff format? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. look at it. There's, there's at least if you go look at the Wildcat right now, there's three teams that are definitely in, and there's three to four teams behind them that are only two to five games out. Mm-hmm. So two to five games is not a lot. I mean, you get hot. You have a, a, a two-week period where you play well. You could close that five games back, either being in the wild card or you know even closer. So it's tough for those teams that are on the bubble because they don't want to send up a red flag. And I've heard some teams in the past say, well, we weren't really going to go far in the playoffs. But – I think that's a very selfish way to look at it because you get to the playoffs, your fan base is excited. They see October baseball. They see that, okay, maybe we can build off this. There's no downside to winning. And I think if you, you look at it that way, uh, I, think, I think you're going to struggle. But I think what would be important to me is being in it and, and, and every opportunity trying to make your team better, even if they're small moves, but they're moves that – you got an opportunity to make your club better. The fans are seeing it, mm-hmm. and your players are seeing it. Listen, you have to walk in that clubhouse, and the play, the worst thing you could do is walk in there, and the players are like, nothing? Really? Mm-hmm. We're busting out. got nothing? It's a tough, tough, tough pill to swallow. Well, that's that's where I was going to go next. Is So that that is very real then. Like the idea of – because and we've had it at certain times here in Toronto where there have been a couple of guys that have been outspoken about moves not being made, right? And – um, yeah, like, you, you know, it leaks into the public from time to time and players do show disappointment. There was a lot of talk last year, especially about like the Orioles who 
were in it and end up actually being sellers despite being right around the playoffs. And a lot of us in the media do the thing where they go like, Oh, it wasn't like the thing that you just said, well, we probably weren't going to go deep in the playoffs, probably do the thing, but yeah, coming around this time of year where, you know, there are so many teams that are in it. How, how difficult is it to navigate this with players and yeah, like knowing, Hey, maybe one of these guys gets removed from the roster or maybe we don't end up adding like how much consideration goes into just, you know, trying to appease some of the players, even if the move is something that is small, just to be able to say, Hey, Hey, we believe in you to, uh, to some degree. Well, I think when you take a job as a general manager or assistant general manager, any job that you take that's involved with the front office, if the main goal is not to win, I don't know why you would take the job. You know, I, I always think of those guys that landed on Omaha Beach. And I think you think they sat around coming over on those LSTs and say, you know, it's okay if we come in second. You know, we'll speak German and we'll speak uh, Japanese for, for the rest of our lives. But, you know, it's just going to be okay. I mean, it's, it's not to be American-American, but it's un-American not yeah. to try to win. I just don't understand how you put a uniform on and whatever you put on and your goal isn't to try to win. So... I have a hard time with any opportunity you have to win that you don't win because I don't think there's any downside to winning. Yeah. But the, the players itself, did you ever have a time where there was one? Well, the players know. The players yeah. know. If you have a good relationship with your players, like we had in Toronto, we had uh-huh. in New York, we had in Oakland, they're invested and you're letting them know that they're invested and you're mm-hmm. telling them, Hey, they'll come up to you and say, Hey, you think you're going to do anything? Yeah, we're going to try. We're going to really try. It might hurt you. You might lose a friend or two, but we're going to try. And I think that they respect that because, listen, you're together for seven, eight months. Sure. I mean, to, to, to not, wait again, like put blinders on and walk through the clubhouse. I mean, you, you've got to be able to face these guys and be able to say, you know, this is what we got. This is what we didn't get. But I think a good front office is one that communicates with the players what we're trying to do without giving them too much information. But as long as they know that mm-hmm. and they're out there busting their butt every night, I just don't know how you can look at them as a front office and say, uh, now it's my time to help. So anyway, I, I just, uh, I'm all about winning. Yeah, that, that's clear. That, that is coming through loud and clear. Did you, who, if I ask you this, when you were in Toronto, does a certain player come to mind where I would say they were basically trying to be, you know, your assistant GM? Like, who's the player that pops in your head where you go, like, he was always checking in. He was the person playing attention to, you know, trade rumors or giving you ideas or, or trying to step into that, yeah, that front office space going, I have some thoughts for you, JP. No, we didn't really have anybody like that. All you know, right. we, we, we had a lot of guys who were, you know, would come up and say, anything going on? You got to, you know, obviously you can't tell them, oh, yeah, I'm talking about trading you, you yeah. know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that would have been a great response to whoever's doing that every single time, though. Well, that's a great Greg Zahn story someday I could share with you, but uh, right now I can't. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of what it shows you though, when the players are asking you that question is that they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's great. They're invested. So you didn't like around deadline time with Toronto, there wasn't a ton, a ton, a ton of activity for you. Some big ones, like the most notable one is actually you guys trading away Scott Rowland and then bringing in Edwin Encarnacion was like, did you find yourself sort of around this time like, what, what was it that was most difficult about being here? Because, yeah, the division was tough. It was, you know, you're just kind of around it, not always ahead of some of these teams. When, when you were here, did you find it, like, harder to sell because of that winning mentality that you have? Not so much. I think what we did in Toronto uh, 
was we tried to do a lot of our heavy lifting in the winter. Mm-hmm. And look at most of our stuff, whether it was Troy Gloss, whether it was Lyle Overbay, whether yep. it was Britain, uh, I mean, the, the Catalanados, the, the whole group of guys. We did most of our heavy lifting when we had the resources and we knew we could do some things. So we tried to do it by beginning of February. Um, and then at the trading deadline, you know, we really – we weren't in a position to really do a lot of stuff because it meant taking away from, from our team, which at the point was, you know, we were trying to win. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why we didn't have a lot of blockbuster trade deadlines. It wasn't that we didn't talk to people, but we just didn't have any blockbuster because in some of those years we had good teams. We would have been taking away, you know, some, some of the parts that, that made up the team. And, and then we would have had a, you know, kind of gone backwards about chemistry and all of that. So, you know, we just weren't in a position to make blockbuster trades. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation today. I really appreciate you coming on and giving the time, especially during busy season like this. And, yeah, thanks for the chat today, JP. Okay, no problem. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too. Uh, there goes JP Ricciardi, uh, former GM of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, guy that wants to win, guy that was not ready to speak German, Wasn't, was, was not into that idea. That was some good stuff from that. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to think about some of those things. And then I do I do want to talk a little bit about Draymond versus Jordan Poole. That will not go away. And a few other little small things. But I want to sit on that JP interview for a couple minutes. So quick break. We'll be right back. Sportsnet 599. So a few quick thoughts off the JP interview. Um, he did say the thing that makes the most sense, which is you try not to let job security affect you because you don't want to do long-term damage to the club, right? But the way I read that is, yeah, Jays aren't trading, you know, Ricky Tiedemann or Relvis Martinez for some type of a little minor upgrade, right? Like you don't get desperate to the point where it looks, it's like anything. You can't mm-hmm. be obvious with it. Yeah. You can't do something that's overt, like so overt that everyone goes, this person did this to save their job and then it sticks with you for the rest of your career. But in speaking to him, it's pretty clear that it does affect you for the reasons that we noted. People around you, the people that you work with, wanting to do right by them and everyone wants to and usually keep their job. Um... Hard to believe that there's very many general managers, even though, like I mentioned, there's a different kind of job security down the line that you likely will be rehired, that you'll be given a position like, you know, JP has worked with multiple teams since Mm -hmm. he was with the Blue Jays and in prominent roles, right? He's doing all right. Same thing with Atkins. You know, if he's let go or Shapiro, guess what? They're going to have these jobs again. Maybe not Atkins as a GM, but you get my point. Can't make it obvious, but there is going to be some pressure to do those things. And now, you know, you look at the cocktail for the Blue Jays. You say you've got a front office that has gone out and stated they want to add multiple things. That they wouldn't mind adding a bat. They wouldn't mind adding a lefty reliever. And you can't have too much starting pitching. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a lot of things, you know. Maybe they're just like fringier ones, whatever. But you're also not working with... A ton of options. You don't have a deep farm system, and you've stated you don't want to remove from your roster, which, frankly, like, what are you really going to remove from your roster anyway? Like, what's coveted by other teams? I think I was actually reading Shy or someone this week where they were talking about, like, trading Mitch White, and I went, who the hell wants Mitch White now? 
What is Mitch White's value? I wouldn't give Mitch White a dollar. <laughs> like he he Not should be a male dollar. model. Not a pitcher. He's a handsome guy. So handsome. Good looking dude. Mm -hmm. Pitching, eh, not for you. It's not really your thing, I would say. Um, So you got to add to a couple of different areas. You want to make the ball club better. Maybe they're fringier moves, whatever. But you got to think that there's a little desperation with this group right now. They're in year eight. They haven't won a damn thing. The window on Vladdy and Bo, that stuff's closing. So, yeah, I just, I wonder if there is a little bit more of a possibility that, yeah, a guy like Aurelvis Martinez does get moved. Even though it is the long-term health of the club, just like, what is the level of desperation? What is the level of prospect? What is the, yeah, how far do they end up actually taking this thing? Or how do they try to push it, knowing that there are going to be those added pressures of some people's jobs could very well be on the line. And they've made the promise to add. And they have a club frankly, full of a lot of vets. Like, I don't know what the, you know, the obligation is to guys who've been here for one year or that you sign on one-year deals or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you got older players are supposed to be a more mature ball club. You know, you brought in guys because you said, this is about winning now. You know, the fun is over. The winning time is now. So how do these guys feel about approaching, yeah, George Springer and saying, yeah, we didn't really add too much, George. No, you want to win. No, you came here to win. Didn't really do too much. Bo Bichette seems like a pretty competitive guy. Not sure how you approach a guy like him. Hey, I know you're having a terrific season. You're our star player. Eh, we're around it. We're not really going to push for it. Again, this team still has 25 games against divisional opponents. A mm-hmm. lot of room to make some stuff up. They've sucked against their divisional opponents, which doesn't make things... You know, seven oh, wins, twenty losses. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a pretty picture what they've done against those teams and how they've made you feel. So you can look <laughs> at it two ways. You can look at it as an opportunity, or you can look at it as, oh my god, this is terrifying. You're going to need to actually add something so that maybe you win an extra game or two in these series. A, a couple of things that are going to help you stay afloat against these groups, so that you don't fall out of the playoff picture. Because yeah, talking to Tim Kirchin yesterday. Doesn't appear like there's going to be anything that's going to push the Yankees into sell mode, right? Doesn't appear that there's going to be anything that's going to push the Red Sox now into sell mode. Yeah. Orioles are not the Orioles of a year ago. They're right there for the division. They're at the top very now. They're not going to be sellers this time around. So everybody within that group that you're going to play 25 times is likely going to try and get better. And maybe they do get a little bit better. Likely they do get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it comes down to how, how desperate are they going to get and how much are they going to look at this and talk about what he mentioned, which is the status quo thing. You're like, ah, oh, we're good enough, you know? Don't want to get too risky because, ah, oh, we're good enough. Content we're around it. We're good. We could tend to be competitive. Eh. I don't think the fan base is my, – my, my personal read on the fan base is that that's not exactly where everybody's at right now. Is like we're very content with being competitive. It doesn't really feel that way. Mm-mm. Like every single loss right now – and I know these guys lose in the ugliest ways because they have the runners in scoring position thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the offense just dries up to a degree. We're like, what the hell is this? Like Bases last night. And then, yeah. yeah. Like last night we were sitting there at the ballpark going, can we just do one entertaining thing, please? <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> that was right? me the, the entire yeah. game. <laughs> no, nah, I've been to those games yeah. and you checked out. Mm-hmm. 
all of a sudden you're like at the concessions, you go to the outfield section, you start chatting with it. You're not really even watching the game anymore. You're there for a patio experience, essentially. You don't want to have that. But yeah, it feels like those losses impact the fan base more now that there's less... Uh, Variance in the reaction. No, 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 no. I was going to say, like, it, it, the, the fan base is a very thin skin right now when it comes to being reactionary. Mm-hmm. And I know there are the, the baseball hardos that hammer people over that, and they're like, yeah, it's the fans and the fans. Are this. No. Fans drive the team. Fans drive the bus. And I think that everyone at this point is fair to kind of feel that way. They're tired of being told how great this baseball team is by a select few people. And, yeah. They, they want to see results. Mm-hmm. They want to see results and they want to feel a little bit better about this baseball team. And it's pretty clear that, yeah, one of the ways they need to do that, I, I really think they need an impact right-hand bat. Like, they, they need somebody who you really feel good about to make, just even to inspire the confidence of the group and the fan base that, hey, there's a bat here that is either, like, clutch or, yeah. you know, reliable or gets on base or hits for some power. They, they need to do that. Like flip the mood a bit. Yeah. The other stuff, to me, is insurance, you know? The other stuff is, yeah, okay, add a depth starter at the right price. Hopefully you don't end up overpaying like you did for Mitch White and don't blow that back-to-back years. Go get a lefty reliever. It does not need to be someone who is the setup man, you know? It's just someone where, like they mentioned, they, they're right-handed in the bullpen and you'd like to have a little bit of insurance for Mesa so that you don't end up in the Cecil deal like I mentioned earlier in the show. Okay, cool. Those are fringy checkpoints. The big one is going to be the bat. They need a bat. And it cannot be some type of, sorry, this is a bounce back candidate guy, or they think that he's going to show up here and the dimensions of the ballpark. No, like this, this has to be a, a really good baseball player where they're, you're, you're trying to find spots for them in the lineup like every single night. Shouldn't be your last man. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't a person that should be replacing Nathan Lukes. Mm-hmm. This isn't a person that should be sliding behind or around Santiago Espinal and... Kevin Biggio should be pretty clear that what you're looking for is a right-handed Brandon belt, you know, yeah. vet tough, nasty to deal with. Uh, I'd like a little bit more power than belt. I think that's been one of the disappointing things about his season is just like the home runs have dried up, mm-hmm. but whatever, try to get that with a little bit more power, a sexy addition there. I think will go a long way for this fan base. So anyway, I mentioned, Dre, uh, <laughs> looked at my dog. I mentioned Tay Oscar for weeks and weeks and weeks. I don't think that one's going to happen. Uh, plus yeah, I think a little too streaky, but even still something like that. And Tay Oscar still would be very, very fun. We'll get to see him now in Seattle mm-hmm. and, uh, he gets to feel right at home seeing all the, that blue Jays merch in his team shop. <laughs> anyway, he wasn't uh, angry with what JP said in mind there. Does he reevaluate how Dubis handled the deadline at all or anything like that? Yeah. Kind of. Mm, right. Like, I was wondering about that. <laughs> uh, well, I did think about the Leafs when I thought about the I status thought quo. He kind of knew he was cooked. Yeah. I did think about the Leafs with the status quo thing because it's like you know that you're set for a regular season with the current makeup of players you have and that you're going to get playoff revenue and you're going to make it there. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a team that wins regular season playoff games and over the course of 82 is going to win you know, a whole bunch of them. And you're going to have a guy who can score up to 60 goals and you can have another guy who scores 40 and you can have an energetic Mitch Marner. But yes, there's definitely a very status quo feel to the core and that, that to me was where it kind of stuck out more so than the deadline stuff. Because, like, the deadline stuff to me, actually, that Dubas did was his best moment as general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. It was just like, you know, it's it's funny because everyone loves to hammer him over the Nick Foligno trade, and they go, yeah, oh, that was a bad trade. And it's like Ryan O'Reilly ended up kind of being a very similar thing. I know they got Achari, but 
they paid for two rentals. They gave up first round pick. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. Well, Fleetwood was also hurt too. Like yeah, but guess what? So was Ryan O'Reilly got hurt right away too, and then like he looked a step slow in the playoffs as well. Like he had moments in the first round, but when it got to the second, we were all talking about how hurt Ryan O'Reilly was, Mm -hmm. and he never copped to it, but he clearly was. Yeah. So, yeah, you never look all that smart with rentals, but I just thought that the Leafs clearly needed to try something different around their group, and that it was really. You know, I used to hammer on the Pierre Engvall thing, but it was because Pierre Engvall on that team. You know, it's fine to have a Pierre Engvall or two in your group, but when your whole team is like the top-end guys have the same nastiness and bite to their game as Engvall, eh, maybe move out some of those guys and bring in a different complexion to your group. So I thought that it was risky given how much they did change it, but it was also something that they've clearly been searching for forever, which is what they've done again this offseason is try to add more snot. Why do you think they keep saying that? It's because the guys at the top, the core dudes, don't have an ounce of that stuff. Right? Yeah. Who's the nastiest guy in the core four? <laughs> like, Matthew's got into a fight. It might be Come Matthews on. just because of yeah, the one fight. Like, <laughs> Matthew's signature play is smiling at people. Same as with Marners. Those are the two guys, that's what they do. Anyway, uh, whatever. I, I, I did think about the status quo thing when he was talking about Leafs. How could you not? My brain's always in Leaf mode. Yeah. I even thought about status quo a little bit with the Raptors, where I went like, they weren't going to the deadline. They well, the Raptors play. one was talking to the players, where he said that. Like, I think Masai has a good relationship with some of those guys, and they wanna they wanna win, right? Mm. Sure, but I, I, they were supposed to be sellers. They needed to sell, and now they're working backwards. And now the Siakam thing is out there, where if they don't get a haul for him, boy, it's it, first of all trading your best player when you've <laughs> after a deadline where you traded away your first round pick, and you don't control it unless it's top five is. Like that, that to me alone is a fireable offense. It's a tough spot. Like yeah. that is just a, such a complete lack of direction zag to go. We're trading a first for, it's like, who'd you get? Did you get a, did you get a star? It's like, no, we got a center. All star, right? We get a center who has good metrics. It's pretty uh, the, good the in the picks, pick and roll. The picks lottery protected though, right? Top 10 protected. Yeah, sure. I, anyways, I, I like Pirtle, but he also looked way better here given the fact that, you know, look, look what the Raptors were dealing with at center. They were playing second round pick Christian Coloco a bunch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty clearly it looked good when they put a player with pedigree, a multi-year vet. Like an actual NBA yeah, center. Yeah, duh. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I like, again, I like Pirtle, but they yeah. gave up a first round pick for not a star. They didn't throw him in a package going, hey, you know, we can get Shea Gilgis Alexander. We're gonna Top get a bunch six of picks. protected. It's like, yeah, six. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to do that, to give up a pick with that crappy of a protection for mm-hmm. that center. And then the next off season going, yep. Goodbye. Goodbye. Siakam, our best chance to win games. And the guy that's like, it just, it's so bad. And I don't know if what the hall is going to be, but the stuff that I've seen rumored, like the three way stuff with, you know, cause apparently Dallas really wants Clint Capella. They're real horny for Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, cool. Per Mark Stein. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but he's as plugged in with Dallas as anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. So if Mark Stein's saying that, you can believe it's true. Yeah. Um, but the stuff that I've seen coming back from Atlanta is like a couple picks, a couple pick swaps. Mm-hmm. I don't, you like know. DeAndre Hunter, stuff like that. Yeah. I don't love, like and DeAndre Hunter's fine. And a bunch of their first last year already for Murray. Well, DeAndre Hunter also is like, so what? They're doing more Project 6-9, but different, like it's just, <laughs> but less talented. Sweet. Um. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I thought about them, but I didn't think about it in terms of like the players or I just thought about it as like the status quo is all of a sudden Masai went from being a guy that was 
hellbent on championships to a guy that all of a sudden cared about the playing game, mm-hmm. which is weird. Anyways, now I don't get to do Draymond versus Poole's dad. I'm not going to do that. In the... Who is this person that you messaged me about who? with the selfie? I have no idea. Am I supposed Miranda to know? Lambert? Am I supposed to know who that is? It's a country singer. I don't really listen oh, okay. to her either. It's just the, the situation. No, okay. Because you sent it to me and you were like, Miranda Lambert. And I was like, I have no idea who this person is. It's her name. I don't know. Okay, yeah. No, but I, <laughs> how did you even come across the story? It was just like a person that took a selfie Dude, at a show. I, I don't know. I, I dig for stuff. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I guess you were digging. I just thought I, I saved this for the very end because I was like, am I, I'll be embarrassed if this is like the biggest pop sensation outside of Taylor Swift and I'm just old and don't know. Anyways, I'm off to Seattle. I'm going to follow the Blue Jays out there. Hopefully, you know, it's a nice time for them at their home ballpark. It's Safeco 2.0. Yeah. Our embassy. All right. See you next week. Subscribe, review. Talk to you later.